You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praises. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. And beginning at verse 40, Therefore the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. But he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't think it's my age, but most of us can probably remember uh, when you didn't see any Christmas commercials until after Thanksgiving. Or when Halloween was one day, not like Halloween week or Halloween month. Uh, And for many, Thanksgiving has become almost like a a speed bump that's in the way of getting to Christmas. You know, what what is the meaning of Thanksgiving? And especially for those who who would say that we're Christians, what does it mean to give thanks? So I want us to look at this particular psalm. Uh, Within the book of Psalms, there are a number of what's called Thanksgiving psalms that, that direct our praise to God. Uh, Psalm 106 is one of those. It is a thanksgiving psalm, but it's also in the form of a a communal lament. So in other words, the the people are lifting up their voices together, both lamenting things they have not done and also seeking to praise and glorify God. And so as we come to this psalm, what we're going to do is direct our attention to three aspects of it. One is simply the calling to give thanks. The second aspect will be the neglecting of giving thanks. And then we'll come around to taking every opportunity to give thanks. 
So the calling of giving thanks, um, the neglecting of giving thanks, and then finally taking every opportunity to give thanks. And some of this is obviously preparing us too. We want to have some opportunity next Sunday in our service for, for you to share praises uh, that you might have. Uh, so let's go to Psalm 106. And looking at the calling to give thanks, uh, it marks this psalm really from beginning to end. Because you notice in verse 1, it begins with praise the Lord. And then if you go all the way to verse 48, it ends in a doxology that concludes with the same three words, praise the Lord. So it's evident that the psalmist is saying, here is a, a calling, a if you want, a duty uh, that, that should fall upon all of God's people. But in thinking about that, the, the doxology in verse 48 is also a very fitting close to book four of the Psalms. So in other words, the whole book of Psalms, you could subdivide into four separate books. And all of those books conclude with the doxology. So in other words, Psalm 106 not only begins and ends, you could say, on praise, but it's a great way that it's concluding this entire section of the Psalms by saying, praise the Lord. But if, if you were to look carefully at Psalm 106, you notice that from verse 6 all the way through verse 46 is basically a report card on the people of Israel. And what you find the psalmist does is he pulls out illustrations from Israel's history to say to us, how, how well did they understand the concept of giving thanks? And not just how well did they understand that, how well did they live that out? You may have noticed in Anne Bradstreet's prayer, she mentions that her praise would not be merely talk. And the sad truth is that in Israel's history, many times their praise and thanksgiving was merely talk. And, and we see that in many of the events that are illustrated by the psalmist here. So the calling to give thanks is, is evident throughout this psalm as well as many others. But when you think about giving thanks, look closely at verse 1 because it is commanded. It's commanded, but it should be our ultimate desire and joy to do this. Notice verse 1, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So that word praise might mean many things to us. We might think of singing. We might think of somehow expressing emotion. Uh, the, the word itself does mean to extol or to boast in. So we're boasting in who God is. And that word is also translated in many other places as the word hallelujah. So, so kind of think of the preface here. This is the mindset we should come in to extol him, to, to boast in God. Not, not how our week went or what we're doing in our life, but, but focusing on him. But then notice it says, give thanks to the Lord. Now the thanks refers to confessing or testifying. So remember I said this is a communal psalm. So it's not just David before God saying, well, I'm thanking you for this. But, but this is what the congregation of God is to be doing. Praising him 
and then literally confessing or testifying before God. And if we do it in the presence of one another, it's also testifying before our brothers and sisters of the greatness and glory of God. Anytime someone should say they should receive praise, we automatically should think, why? Why do they deserve that? And so even though this is written to the people of God, there's no assumptions here made. And so you see in the last half of verse 1, following over into verse 2, we're given reasons. Why is God worthy of praise? Why is he worthy of, of our confessing his name? Well, notice in verse 1, because the Lord is good. Now, what a, a simple word, but good speaks of his, his moral excellency and perfection. That there's nothing lacking in God. And one of the best ways to sum that up is just God is good. But then notice also his love endures forever. And in many of the Thanksgiving Psalms, it comes back to this, this word of his love, which is the, the Hebrew word hased, which means his, his loving kindness, his, his covenant loyalty to his people. That that is worthy of us extolling, boasting in. And you're going to see quickly, why would that be? Because, as this psalm reflects, that is how God is. His people often act the complete opposite where God is good and his loving kindness never fails, Israel's report card reveals that they are often unfaithful. They're often unpredictable, forgetful. And so you have this dynamic contrast presented for us. And I don't think any of us could, should be able to read this psalm without seeing ourselves in it. You know, even though it says Israel, and we know that's who he's directly speaking to, indirectly, that's us. This is how we function in life. So looking at the calling to give thanks, notice that God loves us, he is good. But then go down to verse 2, where it says, Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praises? So we have a rhetorical question here which we know the answer would be no one can do this completely because God is just so good to us. Notice, I think it was part of what Ashley was playing in special music was um, when we sing about 10,000 reasons, that, that even if we could come up with 10,000 reasons to praise God, we, we'd just be touching the surface. And so you see in this verse that it speaks of his mighty acts this is a typical phrase that the prophets use, that the Psalms use, as a way to summarize all the ways that God has intervened in the life of the Old Testament people of Israel. It'd be the equivalent of us saying, well, God has done mighty acts in my life. And you might be referring to health, family needs, other provisions that he has met. It's, it's an umbrella term, but a very important one. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians as we're on this theme of the calling to give thanks. And it certainly is not lost on the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 18. 
Uh, all of us sometimes need directions that are very blunt and clear. Well, Thanksgiving is expected of God's people. And you see this 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul gives a, a series of short exhortations. But he begins at verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we turn the will of God into some sort of mysterious thing that we'll never know. Uh, and there is an aspect where you have God's secret will. Things are known only to God that, that are not necessarily revealed to us. But here, Paul says, you want to know what God's will is for you? He, he wants you to be joyful in him. He wants you to pray continually. And if you accept the first two, you can't eliminate the third to give thanks in all circumstances. And what's the reason? Well, God is worthy, but this is God's will for you. So we can't leave Psalm 106 without realizing this is talking to us. This is saying the calling to give thanks is, is not just because it's November and we're a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving. It's, it's because of who God is. Well, now let's kind of see how the psalmist redirects our attention beginning at verse 4. And, and takes us on a historical journey through Israel's past. Yeah, how have God's own people done with his calling? Well, notice in, as you look at this, the neglecting to give thanks you see in verses 6 through 13. And we just focused on one little picture. Uh, I encourage you, you want to see the rest of it. It's pretty ugly. Uh, just read the rest of this chapter. But let's focus on verses 6 through 13. Notice in verse 6, uh, this is a communal psalm. So they're lamenting now where it says, we have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. So this is somewhat encouraging. Right now, we have a certain admission of corporate guilt. They're owning this, which is not something we often see in the scriptures. But notice what it says. We have sinned. Not, not we had a lack of judgment or we were victim of our circumstances. Um, we, we have sinned. We have missed the mark. And we already know what the mark is because we just read it. It is to give thanks to God. In, in all circumstances, in all situations, we are to give thanks. So they acknowledge they have missed the mark. But then to add to that, notice it says we have done wrong. Now the word wrong there means perverted or bent. And that being, if it's perverted or bent, it means you're comparing it to something that is straight. So God's standard is straight. That is the line by which we measure everything off of. So when they say we have done evil, they're acknowledging we have not done or met God's standard. In spite of the fact, God has always been faithful and he's always been good and he's always been loving and loyal to his people. 
And then he adds that we have acted wickedly. So compounding the sense of, of finally acknowledging a, a corporate sense of guilt among the people. But then notice if we look a little further, verses 7 through 9 uh, are painted a particular scene. And this is right after Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. So you know the story well. They're in slavery 430 years in Egypt. God, through a series of plagues, brings indictment on not just the nation of Egypt, but the Egyptian gods themselves and Pharaoh's resistance, his hardening heart. So, so they finally are able to, to leave. Uh, they get to the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and, and you know they, they, they're basically kind of trapped. So, but notice what this says here in verse 7. They gave no thought to your miracles. And what does that mean? They gave no thought. They, they didn't have like some kind of dementia. Uh, it's not saying they completely had no recollection of the plagues or anything like that, uh, but they did not display understanding and comprehension. There are occasionally times, which I'm, I'm sure this happens in every married couple, um, Heather might give me directions for something I, I hear it, but I really haven't comprehended it and understood it. And that photo fits the people of Israel. They, they didn't forget. If you asked them, gave them a little quiz, they could say, yep, the plagues, yeah, God got us out of there. But they really were not taking it to heart. This, this sort of thanksgiving or celebration they had, as we'll see, will be extremely short-lived uh, because it's more talk than, than a hard attitude. Notice it goes on in verse 7. Uh, they did not remember your many kindnesses. Now, again, the word remember there always in the Old Testament points to not just recollecting something, but the recollection of that leads to action now. And so the fact that they have no remembrance means they did not even keep this before them. So sort of, sort of think of that scene. We, we get it that to kind of get to a point where you just see water in front of you and that's your exit and it looks closed, that they just forgot. They failed to remember what had God just done? A miracle that, that he would lead them even that far out of Egypt. They have no weapons. They're, they're not an organized nation. And yet God's hand had led them that far and, and we should be thinking, which probably we are, I don't understand, why didn't they just trust God? Well, what, what, what do we do at times that's any different? God meets a need in our life, then a new situation, new circumstance comes up, and we, we go into panic mode. We, we get anxious. We're like, where, where is God? Why, why isn't he helping me? Why, why is this in my life? And so we can start to identify here with a people who are neglecting giving thanks to God. But continuing on in verses 7 and following, notice it goes on and says in verse 7, they rebelled by the sea. That, that we've been kind of thinking all along, the Exodus story is about the hardness and stubbornness of Pharaoh's heart. Here you have, a very painful indictment. Wait a minute, he's not the only one. 
Who has a hardened, stubborn heart? That, that is people of Israel, when they get to this point, they, they unravel. They're, they're rattled by this. Notice verse 8 and 9, the contrast. Yet, who saved them? God saved them. He rebuked the Red Sea. Not, not because they deserved it, but because of who he is. For his name's sake. And so you have this, this picture here of a God who is faithful and a people who, who repeatedly do, do not give him the thanks, the honor, the worship that he deserves. Now you notice verse 12 might seem like a, a glimmer of hope in all of this. Because verse 12 says, then they believed his promises and sang his praises. Now you could read that as that's, that's like a, a good thing. You know, wow, they got to this point, they had this crisis of faith, and after doing some grumbling, then they trusted in God. But it's possible that that verse is actually meant more as a rebuke. Like, sure, when they see the waters split, then they trust God. When you think about in the scriptures, we're not to walk by sight. We're to walk by faith. So you can read this verse in two different ways. And I think it's interesting just to contemplate it. What if this isn't like a positive thing? Like, yes, then they believed and they sang his praises, which they did. We have a glimpse of that in, you know, the song of Miriam and Moses in Exodus 15. Uh, but, but is it also maybe an indication of that praise and thanks is pretty shallow. Just like for, for many of us, it, it's easy to give thanks to God when your, your health is good, when everything in your family is, is perfect, uh, when there's no difficult people at work. But what if those things are removed? Are we a people who are quick to praise him because God is always good? And his love always endures. Well, let's kind of follow through what happens here in verse 13. Uh, looking at this report card of the people of Israel, sadly, history will continue to repeat itself. Because notice how it begins. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. Now stop and think for a minute. All right, so verse 12 talks about God did part the Red Sea. They, they did leave on dry ground. Pharaoh's army, everything is drowned. The people are on the other side. They set up monument stones. Things look pretty good. Well, then verse 13 says, but soon. If you look at the Exodus account, but soon is like three days later. They get to a spot where the water is bitter and they turn to Moses and they start grumbling. You want to look at that and say, wait a minute, what, what happened to everything they've just personally been through? Like, like they lived through these events. And how could they so quickly grumble and, and think somehow that God was not going to just leave them? Later on, they'll even get strict. They'll just say, Moses, did you bring us here to die? I mean, what a, what a 180 
degree change from, from what they had seen with their eyes and experienced. Which once again tells us that if your thanksgiving is based on circumstances, it will always be short-lived. Because circumstances always change. But if it's based on the very character of God, it should be not just unchanging, but continually increasing. Well, I mentioned that, you know, this psalm presents us with the calling to give thanks. Now we've seen the opposite of that, neglecting of that. But now what about taking every opportunity for giving thanks? And so look at verses three through five. We have a series of blessings that are mentioned that belong to the people of God who trust in him, who do recognize his worth. And so, for example, in verse three, blessed are those who maintain justice. In other words, they will be favored by God. His, his grace will be upon them. Notice verse four. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. Now, what is said of God's people in the Old Testament, we can expand that now in the New Testament to think, well, we become recipients of God's favor, his aid, that, that he has saved us in Christ. Israel was looking at being saved from a physical enemy. The New Testament expands that now. You've been saved from, from death. You've been saved from the guilt of your sin in Christ Jesus. He, he has saved you. He has redeemed you. So often we can speak of the exodus in the Old Testament as the first exodus that's pointing to the second ultimate exodus that is ours in Jesus Christ. And notice verse 5, we get to enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, to share in the joy that should be ours. And I like his reference there. Uh, we, we join in the inheritance in giving praise. Uh, very similar to what Paul says, opening Ephesians 1. He says, you know, we praise our God and Father for the spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenly places. In other words, we know fully what this is talking about. So we should have every opportunity, want every opportunity to speak and give praise to God. And that would mean that praising and thanking God is relevant to all situations and all circumstances. So for example, go to the end of this Psalm in verses 44 through 47, where we have the fact that God's people would be taken through difficulties. He would, he would turn the nation over to the Assyrians. He would turn them over to the Babylonians, never deserting them, but refining them. But notice in verse 44, again, a reminder, giving thanks in all things, Verse 44, he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. He speaks of the distress of his children. And yet they were experiencing that distress 
out of the fact that we're neglecting to honor God. But realizing even then they should have still praised him. And the word distress there speaks of, of a multi-dimensional aspect. It can be emotional stress. It can be social stress, like uh, being ostracized. It can be physical stress. And what a way of reminding us, we have no excuse to not praise God. Now notice I'm not saying you will always feel like praising God. That's very different. Uh, I'm certain there will be times we, you don't, and I don't feel like praising God. Uh, but we realize what a privilege it is to do that. Notice as well in verse 46, he refers to the fact uh, that when they went into captivity, he caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. So even when they were sent off, say, to the Babylonian captivity, God had not deserted them. And he even turned the heart of their captors to be favorable towards them. So even in a situation where by sight it looked hopeless, they still should have been able to give thanks to God because God is good and his love endures forever. And then notice verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your name and glory in your praise. That our salvation is not for personal comfort, but for a greater opportunity to praise and express thanksgiving to God. Notice that purpose statement that we may give thanks to your holy name. Not that we may have relative ease now and can just sit back, but, but you've called us, like Peter says, you've called us out of darkness. Why? To declare your glorious praises. To give thanks always and in every situation. But if you read this entire psalm, you, you get a good glimpse into Israel's history, into their neglect of giving thanks. But there's also two verses that, that call my attention in this. I want you to look at the first one in verse 23. So in recalling Israel's history, their inability to give thanks like they should, verse 23 says, referring to, to Moses, so he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. So this is the scene right after Moses comes down from the mount. Uh, with the tablets, and there the people are worshiping the golden calf. And, and God is basically is like, I'll, I'll just wipe them all out. I'll start with you, Moses, you know, new program. And, and Moses pleads for the people of Israel. So interesting in this depiction of not giving thanks and the results of that, you have the intercessor, Moses, highlighted. But now go down to verse 30, and you have a second person that's highlighted for acting as an intercessor. Verse 30 says, But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. Now, that might not 
mean anything to you, but that comes from the book of Numbers. And, and during this time of history that the psalmist is recalling, you have a scene where the Moabites come along and, and they tempt the people of Israel to fall into sin. So much so that they're, they're even like joining in the worship of Baal. Phineas, who is a priest, uh, reacts strongly to this. He, he kills another individual who's engaged in this. And, and God pulls the brakes on the plague. Because Phineas showed a zeal for God and intervened. Could it be that this psalm is reminding us the only way you will be a people who give thanks continually is if you have a better intercessor, someone who is able to turn God's wrath away from you and enable you to give thanks for what you now have in that intercessor. And all we need to do is think of the New Testament, where we're told there's only one mediator, one intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So our ability to respond to the calling to give thanks, to be more conscious when we fail to give thanks, and then to take every opportunity to give thanks is because we have an intercessor better than Moses, better than Phineas, complete in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so like Israel. We realize that we are so quick to grumble, uh, to walk by sight, not by faith, uh, to react to our circumstances rather than to rejoice in our Savior. And so I pray that these words would stay with us throughout the week, that you would bring them to our attention when we are ready to complain, when we are ready to not trust in you, that, Lord, you would comfort us, encourage us, and remind us of the inheritance that is already ours in Christ Jesus. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.